Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Growing up as a sports fan in the Boston area during the 1980s, there was really one team you were a fan of before any other. Now, obviously there are always exceptions, but for me that team was the Boston Red Sox. I grew up in a family where I was lucky enough to have connections to season tickets via my grandfather who got them shortly after returning home after serving in World War II. And I know I've talked about my late grandfather before, um, but he instilled, as did both my parents, a love of baseball in me from a very early age. And I remember growing up and sitting on his lap at at Red Sox games. You know, the roar of the crowd and going to a number of huge games in Red Sox history with him. And obviously the 1986 season was a formative one for me. That was when I was about 10 years old. Um, And yes, the Celtics made a run and the Bruins made a run and the Patriots made a run to the Super Bowl that year. But for a short time, it looked like the, the Boston Red Sox were going to finally break the aforementioned curse, right? And of course, you know, how 86 unfolded was sort of the birth of the curse of Babe Ruth, the curse of the Bambino. But before it was even called that, look, it hadn't been a long time since the Red Sox had won World Series. And there have been heartbreaks before. You know, 67, the impossible dream team that, you know, they... Came close, but then couldn't get there. 46 with Pesky holding the ball in the World Series. 75 with Game 6 and Carlton Fisk and losing to the Reds. But then there was 86, and there was a chance. It looked like an actual chance that they were going to break through against the New York Mets. And of course they didn't. We know how that story ended. After that season, the... Red Sox organization sent a season in review highlight VHS tape to all season ticket holders. And of course, my grandfather, he didn't want it. So he gave it to me. And I remember wearing that thing out as a kid. I almost had it memorized. I I could still hear some of the, the music to this day. I could still remember the first pitch of their season opener with Dwight Evans as their leadoff hitter, who deposited that first pitch into the bleachers at Tiger Stadium. And I remember the voiceover saying he let off the season, let off the game and the year, like no one had done ever before. That was seared into my brain. And I also remember the voiceover line that came after they lost in Game 6 to the Mets. And it went like this. What could have been. What should have been was not. 
And that phrase, which has been seared into my brain for decades, is how I view this game Sunday. But the New England Patriots drop in a game on the road to a 2-7 and seven Houston Texans team. With all the buildup, all the hope that Patriots fans had in their hearts over the past week in the wake of an upset over the Baltimore Ravens, there is a chance to get themselves really back into the mix of the playoff discussion. They just needed to win this one. What could have been, what should have been, was not. What is, however, is episode 152, a melancholy and the infinite sadness installment of The Scout Show. Mark Schofield back with you now, kicking off officially episode 152 of The Scout Show. And yes, as you heard in the Quick change, cold open of sorts. This is a melancholy in the infinite sadness installment. And if that didn't convince you that it was, if watching that game didn't convince you that it was, then perhaps the sad music can convince you of what you're about to hear. Slotted into the big chair for Monday morning, November 23rd, 2020. It is Thanksgiving week here in the States. But there's not much to be thankful for right now if you're a New England Patriots fan in the wake of a 27-20 loss to Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. A game that, well, let's face it, the story of this game is going to be Deshaun Watson. And as I talked about coming into this game, as I wrote about and did video work on this week. Deshaun Watson is playing the quarterback position still at an extremely high level. And if you were unsure of that fact coming into this game, if you doubted what myself and others have said about Watson in recent weeks, 28 of 37 for 344, two touchdowns, no interception, six carries for 36 yards, and a touchdown. And for those of us who were believers in Deshaun Watson, coming out of Clemson, today was emblematic of what made you believe. And for me, the reason that I had Deshaun Watson, QB1 in that class, was competitive toughness. And a play that I would bring up Every time I got the chance to talk about Deshaun Watson was a third down run he had against Alabama in his final college game. A scramble that came up short, but he launched himself, hurled himself through the air and into Reuben Foster, the talented Alabama linebacker. Foster hit him with everything he had, helicopter in the slender quarterback to the turf after he spun around in the sky. And Watson got right back up. He got right back up. And if you're Reuben Foster in that moment, you are thinking, what do we got to do to beat this guy? As I describe that play, does that not remind you in a sense of Watson's touchdown run to make it a 14-10 game when he bowled over Patriots defenders, thrusting himself into the end zone for a touchdown? Yes, we're still doing phrasing. Yeah. That's the kind of moment that those of us who believed in Watson expected from him in the National Football League. We saw it on Sunday down in Houston. Now, 
Look, this is a Patriot show. And I know I've skipped the cavalcade of reminders and all that. But I had to talk about Watson first. As for the New England Patriots in this game, what can you say? This was an opportunity to really sort of make some noise against a 2-7 and seven football team to build on what you've done the past couple of weeks. Now, that's not to say that they played poorly. Cam Newton, 26 of 40 for 365, a touchdown, no interceptions. He played a pretty good game. He was pressured. He had a number of tipped passes, which is something we're going to have to talk about. But he played a pretty good game. They couldn't sustain a ground attack. I do wonder if perhaps they get away from it a bit. I know James Lofton made a lot in the early going about how the Texans were playing with a lot of four down linemen. And believe me, that's going to be the one of the things that I'm going to be looking at in this condensed week over the next 24 hours or so. Sort of the defensive fronts the teams that the Houston Texans used on Sunday to maybe try to stop that run game. But you saw flashes of what this passing game could be. They threw some vertical haymakers like you talked about back in week two. Damian Bird, six catches, 132 yards and a touchdown. That 42-yard catch shades to continue the baseball analogy of Willie Mays in that catch in the World Series off of the bat of Vic Wirtz with the adjustment. But ultimately, this is a game that they needed to win and they didn't. They needed to win this game to keep pace in the AFC. They needed to win this game because it's a winnable game, albeit, yes, it's on the road, but it's a 2-7 and team that has struggled on both sides of the football. And while Cam Newton generally played well, if you look at this from sort of a drive-to-drive basis, there were missed opportunities. Houston scores on their second possession to tie it at seven. You've got a chance to answer. Five plays, nine yards, and a punt. Houston scores on the aforementioned Deshaun Watson touchdown run to make it 14-10. Now you've got the scenario where you can double dip. You're getting the ball back with about under four minutes, like 350 or so to go in the first half. This is what you want. Score before the half, either make it a one-score game or take the lead, and then you get the second-half kickoff, right? Three plays and out. And it's the Texans that go down the field and score. So it's 21-0. I mean, excuse me, 21-10. Okay, fine, regroup, take the halftime break, sort things out, score on your opening possession. This is what you were hoping to do. Three plays, eight yards, and a punt. Now that was sort of set back... One of the two penalties on Nikhil Harry. And so they had opportunities as an offense, but they did not take advantage of them. They had opportunities as an offense to sort of either take a lead or accomplish what you were hoping to accomplish with a double dip, and they didn't take advantage of them. And it's frustrating for me because I do think that there was a sort of 
I don't want to say it was a change in philosophy or whatever it was, but whatever the reason, they sort of got away a bit from what they were doing well on the ground. It will probably overshadow what I thought was perhaps one of the best drives I've seen Josh McDaniels put together. Their opening touchdown drive, 10 plays, 84 yards, five minutes off the clock and a touchdown, I thought was masterful. Second and seven, it's their second offensive play of the game. They show jet motion. They fake the play. They run play action two different ways. You fake the jet handoff. You fake the inside give to James White. And then you have a throwback sort of screen element to White with Tooney, Mason, and Andrews, the interior of your offensive line, getting downfield. That goes for a huge game. And then on first and ten, under center, play action. This is the very next play. Crossing route to Damian Bird for a gain of 17. Newton's calm, settled, delivers a rocket shot. Absolutely love that play. Next play, first and 10. We've talked about their power toss game, the crack toss game. They go weak toss on this to Damian Harris for a gain of four. They motion the tight end in. It looks like it's going to be crack tossed power side to the strength of the formation, but they run it weak. And Harris, if you watch this play, his footwork is incredible because he presses the edge, gets that edge defender, the force player, to bite down inside, and then he bounces it outside. And you heard James Lofton talk at length about Harris at his burst when he bounces the football. This is a perfect example. So he picks up four. Next play. You fake quarterback power out of a shotgun snap. Swing screen to Rex Burkhead for a gain of 10. Next play, first and 10. Izzo comes in motion. Showing you again, potentially that crack toss. Now with the tight end doing it, inside run. Damian Harris gets a seven-yard gain, but you see that burst once more. Second and three, jet motion. Flip toss weak to Harris. Third and one. They again show you the crack toss look. But it's an inside give to Rex Burkhead aligned at fullback, which is something we haven't seen much of. And I literally wrote in my notes at that moment, McDaniels owed question mark. Because at that moment, I thought we were going to be sinning the praises of Josh McDaniels. First and goal, shotgun pony look. They try the sort of seven-route corner route to Burkhead, goes incomplete. Second goal, crack toss, touchdown. You come back with the crack toss. No motion this time, though. You just align Jacoby Myers in the slot. He cracks. The, sh the look you've been showing them the entire drive, you haven't run it yet. You run it, and it's a walk-in touchdown. I thought at that moment, I literally thought it before that moment, but that this was one of the best drives I've seen McDaniels put together. And I know I'm not around the Slack channel often, but I popped in to say that that was a masterful drive from Josh McDaniels. What could have been, what should have been, was not. I'm next going to talk about some of the reasons it wasn't. Some of the reasons why it was not. That's ahead. Here in episode 152 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 152 of the Sco Show, a melancholy and the infinite sadness installment. And as I teased as inartfully as I can before the break that I was going to talk about the reasons why the New England Patriots lost this game, there's really one main reason, and it's Deshaun Watson. Look, I mean, if you haven't figured it out, I'm high on this guy. And he, I don't want to say it was masterful, but he was darn close to it against the Patriots. They couldn't get home against this guy. They just couldn't get pressure on him. And when they did, he escaped. I mean, no sack says it all, but there were occasions that guys had shots at him. But he's wiry. To sort of quote the replacements there, he's wiry. He escapes. He extends. He's impost. He's a moving target that you can't catch. And what's fascinating about that game is that I saw a number of occasions when Houston did exactly what I said that they were going to do with him. They were going to put him in empty, and he was going to try to move people with his eyes and throw that slant to number three out of the trips formation. And the Patriots took it away. Now, I'm not just saying that because I think that they listened to the show, but they took it away, and he was still able to make plays. They stopped the running game. As I said, Deshaun Watson, six carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. He was their leading rusher. They stopped the run. Lawrence Guy, Brian Cowart, they had a tremendous game against the run on Sunday. A tremendous game against the run, but it didn't matter because Watson carved them up in the passing game. And everybody talks about how Bill Belichick has been searching for that unicorn, public enemy number one. It was originally Cam Newton, but the real moment that pushed Belichick reportedly over the edge in terms of finding an athletic quarterback of his own was that Texans game a couple of years ago during Watson's rookie year when the Patriots needed a touchdown in the last few seconds from Brady to Brandon Cooks where he dotted the sideline with a toe tap before falling out of bounds in the end zone for the winner. Watson was magical that day too. And that was when he was younger and throwing interceptions and turning the ball over. So the main reason they lost this game was because they couldn't figure out a way to stop Deshaun Watson. It's the fear that we all had coming into this season, given this slate of games, was mobile quarterbacks are going to be a problem. And you get Kyler Murray next week and Justin Herbert the week after that. So if it's going to remain a problem, you have to figure this one out quickly. 
Now, as far as some like individual moments that weren't great, the second play of the game might have told the story. If I thought that New England's opening drive was going to be the, you know, the reason for a Josh McDaniels ode, the second play of the game stuck in the back of my mind as a uh-oh moment. This is a second and nine. You've got a chance. Now you still force a punt. But you've got a second and nine. You've got a chance to get them in the third and long right away. What do they do? They come out empty. Trips to the right. Watson opens to his left. And then he wants to come back to the right and throw the slant to number three. And it's taken away. And in that split instant, I'm like, oh, they figured it out. Brian Cowart flushes him. I mean, excuse me. It's not Brian Cowart. But he gets flushed. Watson gets flushed. Finds the tight end late. Scramble draw situation. They move the chains. That's like in Jaws when you hear that music. Not on. Not on. Like you know what's coming. Some of the other things that sort of stuck out. Stephon Gilmore said after the game that they were running a lot of rub routes. You saw that early. Houston's second drive of the game. Second and six. Empty formation, seam route to Brandon Cooks for a gain of 44. It's a rub route. And he sort of, Gilmore tries to come underneath it. He finds space, great throw, great catch. A couple of plays later, tight end beats Jason McCourty. Great throw by Watson for a gain of 22. They brought Kyle Duggar on a blitz. He can't get home. Play action, touchdown pass to Brandon Cobb in the very next play. Houston's third drive of the game. It's now 10-7 New England. You get a chance, third and four, to get off the field. Good protection. Can't get home. Watson has all day again. Crosser to Atkins working against Kyle Duggar in what looked to be a cover one robber type scenario. Watching it live. 25-yard game. Next play, they show you the smoke screen. Everybody bites. He throws the seam route. Huge gain to set up first and goal. And then you get the Deshaun Watson touchdown run. Next moment, as I mentioned during the first half of the show, you have a chance to double dip. You go basically 3-0. And then New England has a chance to at least stem the bleeding. But Houston goes right down the field and scores. You get on a first and 10 after a false start. Farrell Brown, a catch and run where he runs over Jonathan Jones. Next play, Will Fuller in the flat. Missed tackle from J.C. Jackson. Third and goal. Watson buys time. Flushed. Nobody gets home. Finds Kiki Kuti versus Jonathan Jones for the touchdown. Start of the third quarter. Patriots okay. 21-10, you're trailing. Double, you got to regroup here. You get a holding on to kill Harry, his second flag of the game. And as I noted here, if blocking is his strength, dot, dot, dot in my notes. Because a lot of people are saying, look, Nikhil Harry, he's, he's strength as a blocker. It's his strength. And people might say, well, blocking as a wide receiver doesn't matter. Well, if you're running 21 personnel and running crack toss and running the football a ton, then yeah, it matters. Well, he got flagged for an OPI and now a holding penalty which gets him into a first and 20 situation. And then on third and one, you get the toss play to Rex Burkhead in a replay that we won't talk about because they didn't show it because it must have been that awful. 
New England's seventh drive of the game. The first play of the fourth quarter. Newton wants the deep shot. It's 24-17. You get a chance to perhaps get back in this one. Isaiah Wynn gets beaten. Pushed up field. Jonathan Grenard with his first sack of the year. First and 10 becomes second and 17. And this is sort of one of those moments where I know people are going to quibble with the play calling, and I think they've got a point. It's a one-score game. You know, I know the running game hasn't really been there, but this play-action deep shot on first down, first and 10 becomes second and 17, which becomes third and eight, and they eventually convert it. Great job by Bird. You know, sneaks through on a smoke screen to get the first down. But for this offense, third and long, second and long, not where you want to be. Last play I'm going to mention, third and four. Houston has a 24-20 lead. They ultimately hold them to a field goal, but this was third and four. It was a huge play. They can't get anywhere near Watson. Fuller on the crosser for a first down and a gain of 14. They ended up kicking a field goal, but at that moment it kind of felt like it was the game. Bill Belichick after this game said, quote, disappointing. But we'll turn the page and move on. Still have a lot of confidence and belief in the team. If we can just do things a little bit better, I think the results will be different and better. We just couldn't do it today. Time is certainly running out. This is a 4-6 and six team that if they run the table, they get to 10-6, and six, which may or may not be enough to get into the playoffs. Arizona, Chargers, Rams, Miami, Buffalo, Jets. Are they winning all six of those games? I'm not so sure about that. What could have been, what should have been, was not. And if this team is ultimately on the outside looking in come January, people might talk about the Niners game, the Broncos game, the Chiefs game. They might talk about that four-game stretch as the death knell. But this one today might have been the real one. Folks, I know it's a short week, um, but what I'd like to do for a Wednesday show is a mailbag. And it doesn't have to be football-related. Send in your thoughts, whatever you're thinking, questions, whatever, about anything. Whatever you want to say. Even if what you want to do is say, hey, Mark, you're an idiot. Your show has been all over the place this year. Can't listen to it anymore. Okay, you can do that too. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark Schofield, mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. Or you can send it via the Scotia Slack channel. If you're not a member, hit me up for an invite either on Twitter or via email. Mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. But we're going to do a mailbag show for Wednesday. Sometime it was Wednesday afternoon. Until then, friends, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sit along and bless those Patriots' rings down in Foxborough.